Indeed, we celebrate this morning the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're so pleased that you could come and join in this celebration. This morning, I would like us to, in a sense, enter into the resurrection of our Lord by paying particular attention to the very first person to whom our risen Lord chose to reveal himself. I refer, of course, to Mary Magdalene. We just read about that in the scripture. Interestingly, it was not an apostle who first saw the risen Lord. It was clearly not someone who had it all figured out. It's wonderful to note that it was a woman that our Lord came to. Jesus made it very clear throughout his ministry that women were not to be regarded as simply pieces of property. They were, they were fully part of God's uh, uh, people and, the, and received that respect. However, it wasn't because she was a woman that Jesus revealed her, himself to Mary. I think it was this. Our Lord chose to come to someone who passionately loved him who was deeply and totally devoted to him. And and that really is the thing that I would like to open up to you this morning. What does it mean to, to actually love Jesus? I find this, to be very honest with you, a challenge. Um... Thursday night, and by the way, I I think many of you are here Thursday evening. We had a wonderful service. Wonderful service. And Jeff uh, included in our worship time the the old hymn, My Jesus, I Love Thee. I know thou art mine, for thee all the follies of sin I resign. And through that hymn we sing, I love you, I love you, I love you. That's... Again, I want to be honest and say that singing that hymn has always been a, a, a challenge for me. I, I sing it because I, I really want to be saying that. I want to be saying to Jesus, I love you, Jesus. But what does it, in fact, mean? Well, that's why I want to explore with you this story of Mary Magdalene this morning, because perhaps just somehow entering into uh, what Mary experienced, the Lord will open up something to us. And maybe the way in which he teaches you through this story will be different than the way in which he speaks to me. That's, that's why I very strongly encourage you to have this text in front of you. And please follow with me. As I say, the, the best would be to have simply a, an open Bible. Uh, again, I'll tell you that's page 900 and... Excuse me, what did I say? 906, my 906 uh, of those uh, black Bibles in the pews. But you can all follow as we look together at this, um, I think, beautiful, beautiful story. When we closed out the service on Thursday, um, Jeff deliberately set it up so that the last word we heard was of the burial of Jesus. So I'll back up into chapter 19 and just read that to get us uh, kind of on track together. 
Now in the place, verse 41, if you're following. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of Passover, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. The narrative continues. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. So it was on Friday that our Lord was laid in the tomb. He was there all day Saturday, and now Sunday has come when Mary, and we're told, as we read from Luke, other women as well, but that's not what John wants us to pay attention to. He wants us to fix our attention on Mary. And so we're simply told that Mary came to the tomb. So this is the third day, really. She came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, we read, and saw that the stone had been take away, taken away from the tomb. Let me, let me pause for just a minute and introduce Mary to you. Because there are actually several Marys in Scripture and the New Testament. It can get very confusing. Mary, of course, was the mother of our Lord Jesus. You have a story of Mary and Martha who were uh, sisters, and their brother was Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Uh, there are other Marys that appear. And so this particular woman is Mary of Magdala. Magdala was a town in the north. And the one other reference to her, which is worth looking at, is Luke chapter 8. You don't need to turn to it if you want to. Luke is the New Testament book just before uh, John. Keep your place in John because we're coming back to it. But here's what we read in Luke chapter 8. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. That's the first woman who's mentioned. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, is the second woman mentioned. The third is, uh, or, no, this Joanna was Herod's household manager. And Susanna and many others who provided for them, that is for the disciples, out of their means. Now, if your Bible is open, you'll notice that at the end of chapter 7, just before this, is the story, this wonderful story, of the prostitute, remember, who comes and who weeps and uh, washes the very feet of Jesus with her tears and then wipes the feet with her hairs, with her hair, excuse me. And so somehow in kind of popular, if I can say, mythology, Mary Magdalene has been tied to this prostitute who's been forgiven by our Lord Jesus. And therefore it come down... Uh, in my generation, for example, they, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote a, a musical, a popular music musical called Jesus Christ Superstar. And the leading person in there was Mary Magdalene, uh, who was, in fact, this former prostitute who sang one of the, really a beautiful song, I Don't Know How to Love Him. Remember that? Some of, sometimes you still hear that. And so there, there's some sort of reading of something sexual going on between uh, Jesus and Mary. 
Uh, just recently is the, the novel, The Da Vinci Code, that came out. And uh, it's a, again, if you read it, it's a great page turner as far as a detective story goes or a, or a novel. But the subplot is that Jesus fathered a child through Mary, and this seed is then passed on through all the, all the generations. And that's really kind of this secret knowledge that you're supposed to know. So somehow into our popular culture, uh, Mary Magdalene has come to us as a kind of a shadowy uh, woman and uh, a you know, wanting to raise some questions about the relationship between Jesus and Mary. And now here she comes uh, to the scene of the tomb. Well, let me just say, go back to Luke, not 7, but go to Luke 8. And what you find is simply a woman from whom seven demons has been cast out. The Lord Jesus has done a mighty work in her life. But she is associated with several other women of substance. The woman who manages Herod's household, for example. And these are women who now devote their lives to taking care of the disciples. Not camp followers in some tawdry sense, but they're simply there to serve because of what the Lord has done for them. So when you begin to form a mental picture of Mary as we go through this account, what I think you should see is not a young woman with kind of, a, you know, some sort of a look in her eye, but think of a really a mature, even matronly woman. Perhaps her children are grown. She may be a widow. She may be a grandmother. But she, along with these other mature women, are making sure that the Lord's needs are taken care of. And she is one of the Marys who's mentioned at the scene of the cross. And so you can begin to understand why this is a woman who's absolutely and totally devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that all of us, I think, should be drawn to and challenged by. Well, we read as we go on in the story that the first thing Mary did when they discovered that the tomb was empty, when they looked in it. And so, by the way, what's clearly the case here is Mary has no expectation of a resurrection, does she? She is simply dismayed that the body has disappeared. And she ran, we read, if you go on in the text, and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now that, if we, again, took some extra time, which we won't, that's the Apostle John. That's the man who's writing this book. And so, by the way, if you want to come, I'm not, we're not going to do the whole skeptic thing about the resurrection today, but this is an eyewitness account. This is a man who was there. The Apostle John, who wrote this book, is, the, is called the disciple whom Jesus loved. And she said to, it, said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And so the, the account goes on. Peter immediately raced off, John following him. Now, I suspect if you want to get a sense of distance, if you could imagine the eastern state prison, in other words, not that far from here, it's not around the corner, but it's not terribly far. So it's, it's kind of a, you could run there fairly, you know, what, 10 minutes or so, I suppose. And that's what Mary did. But uh, poor Mary, you know, she's, she's panting as she goes up and she says, I've taken the Lord. We don't know where he is. Well, Peter and John jump up out of bed, race off to the back to the place of resurrection. Mary sort of has to follow along behind them, but she's not going to be coming immediately. 
So Peter went with the other disciple, verse 3, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. The picture is the, the, the thick bandages that are wound around a dead body are just lying there in a pile. And when you read different interpreters, some will say that they're, they're actually just simply collapsed, um, that, that you could see what was in there. It was a body, but the body has simply come out. Others say, no, that's not necessary. Interestingly, if you, if you keep reading, though, Simon Peter came, verse 6, following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. I don't need to make a big deal out of that, but it's a, a kind of a curious detail. This, by the way, would be the shroud that uh, is um, so much discussed, the Shroud of Turin. Uh, is that, you know, the, all the discussions in the scientific studies, this is actually the, the cloth that covered over the dead body of Jesus. But John adds a very unique kind of detail, just in a, in a way I think of almost saying, I was there. Folks, this really did happen. Nevertheless, what's mo- even more significant is that the other disciple, verse 8, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. Now, this can't be the first time Jesus believed, uh, John believed in Jesus. But I think we have to say this, that he suddenly got it. I mean, how many times had the Lord been preparing them? I'm going to die. Three days later, I'm going to come alive again. Over and over, he'd explained that, but they didn't get it. Well, finally they got it. John did, at least. It it suddenly occurred to him what had actually happened. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. And the disciples went back to their homes. They got got lots to do. We got to talk about this. We got to get the others around us. Now, you got to forgive me. You know, I like to sort of imagine stuff that may or may not be there. So I'm not going to press this. But I have to wonder, as they're racing out of the tomb, if there wasn't a stranger standing off to the side. And they may have even bumped into him. Sorry, buddy! And off they ran. Well, by this time, Mary's back. And this is, again, where we want to make sure we're really paying attention. She's not going anywhere. doesn't matter who she has to talk to. What's taken place? She has only one thing in mind. I want to see Jesus. Nothing else matters to me. I'll stay as long as I have to. I'll talk to as many people as I need to. I'll push and push and push and bug people and do whatever it takes. I want to see Jesus. Isn't this her heart as she comes? She's given out the news, but now I've got to know what happened to Jesus. That's all that's important. And she wails as she stands outside the tomb in verse 11. 
And as she wept, we read, she stooped to look inside the tomb. These are you know, little caves cut out of the rock, and you have to stoop down low to look inside the door. And as she saw, and she saw, verse 12, two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Now, I have to be honest with you. If, I, if that was me and I looked into a tomb and I saw two angels, I would have stopped right there. Wow! You know, forget the rest. I've seen an angel. That's not good enough for Mary, is it? Who cares if I've seen an angel? Who cares if I've seen two angels? That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to find Jesus. That's all that, that's all that she wants. She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And this is one of these magic moments in the Scripture. Because Mary heard Jesus speak her name. And she knew no one ever spoke to her as he did. She suddenly understood. I don't mean that all the theology fell into place, but it didn't matter to her. All she wanted was Jesus. And here was Jesus. She had to have heard that voice when he said, Mary, be delivered. Demons, leave this woman. Oh, to hear the voice of Jesus speak our name. A few weeks ago, if you were here, I, I talked about the man born blind. And uh, now you may not pay attention to my sermons, but I do. <laughs> because there was, there was this same kind of moment in that incident of the man born blind. You remember he... His blindness had been taken away, but he really had never seen the person who did it. And so after all of the give and take that went on, he was thrown out of the synagogue, and he found himself sitting on a curb, and suddenly a man walks up to him and says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man said, That's the voice. That's the voice of the one who healed me. And he knew it was Jesus. What's interesting, that has sort of eaten away at me, I mean in a good sense, over these last few weeks, 
particularly when I went on to, ch- to the next chapter. That's chapter 9 of John. The next chapter is chapter 10, where Jesus talks about being the good shepherd. And what's powerful there is he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. I call them by name. And they know my voice. And they follow me. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But let's just stay with this and finish up the story. Mary said to her, verse 16, Jesus, pardon me, said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, that is my teacher. Jesus, while Mary, again, the, the, the mental picture I have is Mary just simply falling down at the feet of Jesus and holding his feet, grasping him. And so he says to her these words, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. That's what what I'm having to do, Mary. Yes, it's me. You know it's me, but things are different. And I will be ascending to my Father. So, Mary, you go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, to your Father, excuse me, to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Isn't it interesting the way he puts it? I mean, we are, in fact, the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. But never never let us think that we are sons of God and daughters of God in the same sense in which Jesus is the Son of God. He is uniquely the Son of God in a way that none of us, of course, can be. Now, next Sunday... Uh, we're going to continue on with these wonderful stories, and Dwayne is going to talk to you about Thomas, who, as it turns out, wasn't there when Jesus does, in fact, come and meet with the, with the disciples later on. And he says to Thomas, Dwayne and I were talking about this week, and he pointed this out to me. He says to Thomas, touch me. Just understand, there's no contradiction here. The word in this passage is, don't hold on to me, Mary, because I'm I'm leaving Something actually more wonderful is going to happen because I'm going away. We'll be talking about that in the weeks to come. And so when he says uh, in in another incident, Thomas, touch me, it's in a very different sense of wanting to reaffirm the reality of who he is. And so we have this wonderful, wonderful account of the meeting of Mary Magdalene with her beloved, with her Lord. And I suspect, while it says that she went on and told the disciples, I've seen the Lord, it was only when Jesus said, Mary, it's time to go. It would be my sense Mary was willing to stay there as long as she possibly could. Because that's what she lived for. She lived to be in the presence of her Savior. And friends, that's kind of just what I want to hold out to you as we reflect on this uh, wonderful Easter season for just these last few minutes. What, what does it mean to be in love with Jesus in this sense that we've seen in Mary? 
Because I, again, I want to say to you, I find this sort of somewhat elusive and out there for me. It's not a question of do you believe in Jesus? Are you a Christian? I trust you are. I trust you've come to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But I suspect this takes us even deeper into the faith, to a level of devotion that we really need to aspire to, but not many of us know. And so I've tried to ask myself, what, what goes on? How do we come at least to move in that direction of deeper devotion and conscious and deliberate love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, here's my thought. I think, first of all, we very much need to recognize that any love we give to Jesus is a return of the love that he has shown to us. And it all really does begin with Jesus' love for us. Isn't that certainly the case with Mary? She had experienced the love of Christ in a way that was simply overwhelming. I mean, what, any love we can offer back to Jesus is like a teacup being poured into the ocean. And it's important. It's important. But let's first start with the ocean, with the magnificence of Christ's love for us that sent him to the cross to die. Let, let, me, let me just simply read to you. I copied out a few verses from that uh, wonderful chapter 10 of John. When you have a chance... Read it over and meditate on it, but let me just uh, selectively read a few verses. As the Lord Jesus himself describes this matter of hearing his voice, he starts out by describing just what the, what the purpose of a true shepherd is. The true shepherd is different from the hireling, the guy who just hired to watch your sheep, and the first time trouble comes along, he's going to disappear. He doesn't want to fight the wolves, but the good shepherd, those are his sheep. He owns them. And he'll fight, he'll give his life if necessary. But he says this about the good shepherd, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And then Jesus goes on to say this of himself, I am that good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And friends, I want to suggest to you that if we have come into a genuine and authentic relationship with God through our Lord Jesus... On some level, we have heard the voice of God speaking into our lives. I say on some level because I don't want to suggest that everyone has to have heard a voice. That everyone has audibly heard their name called out. And I want to tell you, some people have. 
I don't want to say that that can't happen, but all I want to say is that the, the whole language of what it means to come to faith is the call, isn't it? Jesus said, I've come to call, not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And as the gospel goes out, we are called into faith in Jesus. Well, that call is really a supernatural moving of God in our hearts. And if you are authentically a follower of Jesus this morning, I, I, I believe that you're sort of nodding your head and saying, yes, and I don't know what the particular experience is like, but they're saying, yes, I know what he's talking about. God has moved in my life and called me to himself. Jesus speaks of his other sheep, not just his apostles. And he says, they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. And so I'm saying if we are to enter more deeply into our love for Christ, we begin by simply receiving Christ's love for us. Manifest for us in the cross. Demonstrated for us in so many, so many different ways. And which, in fact, in just a moment, will participate in the communion meal. And that's exactly what you're doing, isn't it? By faith, you receive these Tokens, not of what you're doing for Jesus, but what he's done for you. His broken body, his shed blood. And in humility, you're saying, I, I receive this into myself. I eat it. I don't just think about it. But I receive it. I take it. So to, so to enter into a more, a more significant love for Jesus, I think we first of all receive his love for us. Second thing I thought about it, it, it is just simply this is what we desire. And with all the busyness, busyness that you've got, can I, can I just say to you, you have to say to the Lord, this Lord is what I want. I want to love you. I know my love falls desperately short. I struggle with this personally, I have to tell you. I'm, as my long-suffering wife can tell you, I am emotionally, uh, I don't know, what's the word? Handicapped? Stoic? Um, you know, kind of bubbling over with love and exuberance is not kind of my personality. Others of you, I'm sure, would say the same thing. But is that as... Is that an excuse, friends, to say, well, it's just not my temperament to be loving so I can cop out when I'm called to love Jesus? No, I don't think so. Well, then I thought, wait a minute, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay, that, that'll do it. Uh, to love Jesus means to obey him. Well, no, wait a minute, Look and, listen to what he says. If you love me, 
How will that be demonstrated? Well, one way is clearly that you'll keep my commandments. So you can't say, I love Jesus and not seek to obey him. But the fact is, it says, if you love me, therefore, keep the commandments. So there is still this call. So, again, I just challenge us to pray earnestly and say, Lord, give me a desire that goes much deeper than any desire I have to love you. I've been thinking that Paul over and over and over prays for his churches that they would know Jesus. And I wonder if that isn't something of the same idea, to, to enter more deeply into the knowledge of God. But is that another way of saying to grow in our love for Jesus? Well, if we have the desire, and again, I want to invite you to this communion this morning, to consciously say to the Lord, use this as a time to say, Lord, my faith is far too superficial. I want, to, I, want to, I want to know something of that love and passion that Mary has. Use this communion time to say that to our Lord. And related to that is, is the time it takes And again, I know I was stretching it a little bit to wonder if a stranger was standing there as the disciples rushed off to tell the news. But to me, it's sort of symbolic that they were in such a hurry that they missed Jesus. Whereas Mary didn't really understand what was going on, but she was going to stay around as long as it took to meet with Jesus. One way or the other. She was only expecting a dead body. You know, that's what God does for us. So often we expect one thing and he gives us so much more. But Mary was willing to give the time to wait. And that's part of the challenge of this that we all struggle with. To actually learn what it is to be quiet in the presence of God. Some of you, I dare say, cannot go anywhere without some kind of noise, whether around you or an earbud or something else. Again, can't we pray, Lord, teach me what it means to be quiet in your presence. To learn on a consistent basis to simply open up this book and let you speak to me. To come to the gathering of God's people, whether on a Sunday morning or on our home groups, with the, with the passionate desire to know more of the Lord Jesus, to grow in him. But we need time. We receive the love that Christ has given to us. We express our desire to be in love with him. We ask for, for a commitment a des, a, a, that, that that desire will take us to the place where we give him the time that it really takes. Well, again, here we are at the, the Lord's table with an opportunity to express that to the Lord himself. We do believe that our Lord Jesus Christ is alive. Part of the beauty of what happened in his resurrection is that he can be present among his people. In this group, but 
all over the city, all over the world. God's people are gathering, celebrating the resurrection, and the Lord Jesus Christ is present. So I want you this morning, as we conclude, to to believe that the risen Christ is among us, that he will hear our cries, that that he will see our desire to know him more, that, that we will take this story of Mary and say, Lord, you know, she didn't understand a lot, but she wanted to know you. May, may I have such a heart. Let's just quiet our hearts in prayer, and then we'll come to the communion. Shall we pray?